Welcome to the Shia tonight. And I'd like to dedicate this Shia tonight to the schus of the Shlucha in Virgin Islands. Henya, Bas Brochet Verlea should have her for Shlema to be able to come back to her family, 12 children, and her Shlichas in, in uh, good health. We should see that Makarov. We'll go straight to our first question then. Someone contacted me that they don't have a sense of smell. Coming back to our question, we have here a man who's not able to smell and his wife is able to, and he wants to make Havdola Bracha Abayimim Shomim to be Moitzi, his wife, and she should be the justifying his Bracha. So here we have a halach in Shekhanoruch, and Simeresh Tzadik Zayn, it's really straightforward in Shekhanoruch, but uh, it's not so well known, so let's read it. Someone who doesn't have a sense of smell, so he doesn't enjoy smell. He should not be making the bracha on the b'shamim. He can do so in order to be moitzi his children, Children who are on the age of Chinuch, then he can make a bracha to be moitzi them. That's justified. But um, but he cannot make a bracha for the adults who are able to uh, smell. Even though those adults are, not, are unable to make their own bracha. Because this is a bracha is a bracha on enjoyment, benefit. I cannot make a bracha for you to be ben, to have benefit as discussed in Kuf Samrazain. To explain, I can make Kiddush for you. If you haven't heard Kiddush, I can make Kiddush for you. And it's not a problem of bracha or batola or anything like that, because I have a responsibility that you should hear Kiddush. Therefore, I could even say, to blow shofar, for example, so you should hear shofar because I have a mitzvah that you should hear But if you want to eat an apple, I don't have a responsibility for you to not eat an apple. Therefore, I cannot say a bracha, for you to eat an apple. Because that's the rule which is being said here. In a bracha on benefit, I cannot do for you. Whereas a bracha on mitzvahs, I can do for you. So the bracha of Psalmim, although it's part of the you know, ceremony of Abdullah, but it's basically it's a birchas hanenin rather than a birchas hamitzvahs. And therefore, one who doesn't have the personal duty cannot um, make the, the bracha. Someone's asking, what about someone who is unable to see? Can he make the bracha on the Havdolah candle? And probably the answer is, probably the answer is no. Uh, he cannot say the bracha for sure. He cannot say the bracha per kiach ivrim. The, um, as far as saying the bracha uh, in davening of yotzer hamoiris, yotzer merecheshach, thanking us, acknowledging, there the halacha is that he can because he benefits from other people. But uh, the brachas which he himself uh, ostensibly is benefiting now, that I think a person who's not able to see will not. But all right, we're not dealing with that now. 
we're going into the next question, and that is that last every week there's a new sicha um, which is published from Sicha of the Rebbe published from years ago, and gradually these have been put together in the 78 volumes of Torah's Menachem from Topshin Yud through till Topshin Lamed Hay, something, and it keeps on coming, coming out, Baruch Hashem. At the back of those booklets, the weekly booklets, they have letters, uh, answers of the Rebbe, which also have never been published. Last week, there was a fascinating uh, list of points which the Rebbe had jotted down back in 1952. Rabbi Lazer Zirkin, who many of us remember, the Sofer in Crown Heights, so he had a, he was drafted in the American army during the Korean War in 1952. And the, of, the officers in command were insisting that he takes off his beard and pay us. Well, he resisted that in that instruction. He called in help from Rabonim. Also, there's a Jewish welfare board, and they contacted various Rabonim, and some Rabonim were saying, mustn't take off the payers, but the beard, da, da, da. they were more in easy going. The Jewish welfare board also met with the Rebbe, and the Rebbe made the point very strongly not to compromise on this. And even though there was a threat, that if he would not comply, he would be court-martialed and given 10 years of imprisonment. And the river is not phased by that. Okay. It makes seven points. But then towards the end of this list, after the seven points, the Rebbe adds in the following. As far as trimming the beard, even with the scissors, so look at Shut Semach Tzedek. is famously known, has got a 20-page article about this, where he says that shaving the beard comes under the issue of Then we have also the Minchas Elozor, who follows the Semach Tzedek, and then the Rebbe says the following. This is very significant for me. So don't try to do Hatos Nadorim on this, since there's a rule in Hatos Nadorim and on, in absolving vows that if there is a person had committed to a, a particular poisek, to follow this particular poisek, and now he wishes to retract from that um, approach, so he cannot do Hatos Nadorim. This is a rule in Hatos Nadorim. Now the Editors gave in the letter the Rebbe, in this, the Rebbe does not give any references, but the editors add the following references. First reference is to Morgan Avram, and all of the dinim of nine days, rather. And it says there about doing trade. So it says there about Maso Matum, the Matin the Maso Matum. So some poskim say that in the way Morgan Avram himself holds. The Maritim B'Masa Matna diminish in commercial activity means activity related to Simcha. Says the Mogadavon, despite what I've just said, but if there's a custom in a particular place, they diminish in all activity of uh, commercial activity during the nine days. You can't, you can't undo that commitment. Even the Yesh Poskim Svir Lohachim. There are Poskim who say, Mamatin B'Masa Matna includes all forms of commercial activity. 
that should be diminished. Therefore, one cannot undo that. That's the Mogadam Okay. Then there's a reference to several other sources. I just want to indulge in the Maramashik for a moment, and then we'll come back to why it was so significant for me. The Maramashik was a Talmud, one of the most prominent Talmudim of the Hassam Soifer. And in his article, in his tshuva, he writes the following. It's a long tshuva, a few pages, where he says, one day <clears throat> I was a bocher in yeshiva in Presburg, and someone came in, he wanted to have a hataras nadorim. What was his need? He was a smoker, apparently, and shvuas was coming, and he had made previously a commitment not to smoke on Yom Tov. And now he wanted to undo his vow that he should be allowed to smoke on Yom Tov. And he asked a few bocherim, could you convene you know, a, a, a bezdin to make hataras nadorim? And says the Maram Sheikh, I said, I don't think you can be matter such a nader. I can't think you can because there are poskim who hold that you're not allowed to smoke on Yom Tov. Now, just to dabble in that for a moment. <clears throat> on Yom Tov, you're allowed to cook. You're allowed to, you're allowed to indulge in what's called shovelachonet benefit, which is universally appreciated. The kind of things which are some people do enjoy, some people don't enjoy, you're not allowed to do on Yom Tov. And that's why, for example, bathing is not allowed to, um, um, uh, on Yom Tov, not allowed, because in those times it wasn't standard for people to bathe every day. Medicines are restricted, just like a Shabbos on Yom Tov. Why, why can't you take medicine on Shabbos? Because you might come to grind your own things. Why can't you grind your own things on Yom Tov? The answer is because medicines is not Shabbos Nefesh. Most people don't necessarily benefit from having medicines if they don't need it. So we have this concept. So smoking is not Shavalach al-Nefesh. It's not universally appreciated, even then and certainly now. And going back a hundred and something years ago, already Poskim objected to people smoking on Yom Tov because it's not Shavalach al-Nefesh. Not everyone enjoys the, sm the, the smoke of cigarettes. So, of course, those people who are addicted to smoking will find a tarium. But this fellow had made a, made a commitment. He's going to follow the strict of you. He wanted to undo the, his vow. And Maram Sheikh says, I was a, one of the three few Bachrim, and I, I resisted. Afterwards, the Rebbe, the Chassam Shoifer, he called me over. I said, I saw there was a bit of commotion in the corner of the West uh, Medrash. What was all that about? As he would often do. He wanted to know what was going on. And I told him this is and this is what he was. And the Chassam Soif agreed with me that we could not undo that vow. This, this triggered something very significant for myself, that some time ago, a person I got to know had made, he told me that he had made a commitment. He was in a moment of duress. He had been in very serious um, circumstances. He didn't know whether he's going to get out of it, how soon. And he made a, a commitment is going to keep Shabbos till Rabbeinu Tamsman. Now, this was not in Europe, this was somewhere in Europe, but he's in it. He lived, he lived in Etisrael. Baruch Hashem, he got out of his predicament and he went back to Etisrael. Now, in here in London, the difference between Rabbeinu Tamsman and the regular Zman is, I don't know, 
let's say 15 minutes. It's not that significant. But in Ertis role, where the, the transition from day to night is much faster than it is in the, on, the, on our latitude. So taking on a time's man means another half an hour at least of extra time. And uh, it's family are waiting, what's a shabbos, whatever. So he's he wanted to undo that vow. So at the time, I, I told him I cannot help him. And my main reason was because if a person makes a vow on the, in a moment of ace sorry, in a moment of duress, well, it's not so easy to undo it. Now, uh, at a later stage. But here comes another point, which is very significant. Rabinitam is obviously no question one of the most eminent poskim. And to say that, although we don't pass like Rabinitam, but he made a vow, a commitment to keep Rabinitam's man, so then we can't really take that away. That's, that's the point. Um, yeah. So. And then, then uh, you have over here at the bottom of the page of the screen, we have here from a safer called Kol Nidre. How's that for a, uh, you know, on Nidorim? So it's a safer called Kol Nidre, a very much contemporary safer. And he writes, If there's a region where they've undertaken to follow, there's a, a, a question which is argued about in Boston, but they've taken the particular view. So then you cannot. We cannot undo that vow because it's a bit more than a regular nader. Others disagree, but that, that's his view. Um, that's based upon that Moganavron. This also brought to mind when I published the first volume of Nasiv and Bestiashlichas, I'd written there an article about eating in the morning before putting on tefillin. Now, there's various sources in Chabad, which talk about eating before davening, and also about putting on tefillin in the morning for Krishma Khtano. Is it imperative to put on, if you want to eat before davening, is it imperative to put on tefillin before doing so? And I was told that the Rebbe was not particular about this. And then came, it was published a letter of the Rebbe's father to the Rebbe shortly after his wedding. It's about Tofshin and Tess. It's published, um, whatever, about 15 years ago, so whatever it is. Um, no, more like Tofshin and Tess. It's about 24 years ago. And there, in that, order, in that letter, the father writes to his son of a hood that you are spending many, many hours a day davening or you're, and you're leaving or eating till very late. And I'm, I'm instructing you as a father that you have to eat earlier on in the day. And then he says, If you can put on films, it's even better. So from there, I saw that it's not so, um, not so imperative to put on film. He says, it's an extra, an optional extra. So when I published the Sefer, I'd written a whole article based upon this letter. So if you, many of you remember Ronnie Greenberg, uh, who used to be a teacher in Carmel, and now I believe he lives in uh, New Jersey somewhere. But at the time he said, when he was a bocher, he had asked Absalom Shimon to be matinader. He had been putting on tefillin every morning before eating, before davening. And he wanted to be matinader. Absalom Shimon I can't, says he can't be matinader. So now I'm in, in retrospect, I say what well, he not, doesn't, wasn't saying necessarily 
that there's no heter to eat without filling before davening. You're saying once you've undertaken following that opinion of, of Dafka putting on tefillin, so then you couldn't be matinated. Possibly that was his thinking. Let's move on. What's the next slide? Okay. So here we go on to an, another question. In one of the Chabad houses in this uh, United Kingdom. So then a they have a non-Jewish waitress. And she, uh, someone says to her, one, one of the lads over there, or girls, I don't know, says to her, well, look, look at this, what a beautiful scene. And it's, it's worth a picture or something like that. And so the waitress pulls out her phone and makes a picture. And now the question, now it's after Shabbos, and she sends a picture to the shliach. Are you allowed to use a picture, enjoy a picture, which was snapped for you by a goy on Shabbos? That's after Shabbos, obviously. This is the question. So this is actually addressed by several, um, did a search, and several contemporaries for it. And what you have in front of you is a Sefer Orchus Shabbos, which has become very popular in the last few years. There's three volumes, I think that's the fourth volume. And he writes, quoting actually Psach of Rabbi Yashiv, that if a goy makes a photograph of an event which took place on Shabbos, one would not be allowed to benefit from it. And now the explanation is fairly straightforward. If you did have a goy do a malacha, let's say you, you asked a goy in violation of their rules, you asked a goy to, to iron, iron a shirt for you. It's now Motsa Shabbos. So you'd have to wait after Shabbos the amount of time it takes to iron a shirt, which is five minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not talking from experience, by the way. Um, if a guy made for you a, a washed a washed a garment, it takes two hours to wash and dry. So you'd have to. So you shouldn't benefit from the time gained by the guy doing on Shabbos. That's the logic over here. So a guy did something for you on Shabbos. You have to wait what's called the amount of time it takes to generate that that benefit, so that you should should not benefit from the guy having done stuff on Shabbos. Now let's take a look at our question. Here's a photograph. What does it mean? How much time should you wait after Shabbos? It's a photograph which could not be made on Motsa Shabbos. It was only available, the opportunity is only there. So uh, since it was done for Yid, even though the guy perhaps was expected to be paid for it, even if that was the case, but it's, it's done for Yid, therefore that would not be acceptable to use it after Shabbos. So I say, this is a Psaq of Rav Yashiv. I saw also a similar Psaq from Rav Mordechai Eliyahu, same, the same logic. If the guy is a news reporter and made a photograph for their own interests to put something in the newspaper, and now you get hold of the that that that, pay, that picture, that's okay. And actually, I saw a picture. I, I was again in my browsing. I saw a picture of a pre-war Rebbe walking on Shabbos with his chassidim, and it says this was done by a goyish reporter for you know for their own collection. Okay, let's move on to the next question. And that is, should we ask somewhere in Europe has uh, excess amount of Seamus and for some reason they don't have enough space to bury Seamus in the cemetery, may they bury the Seamus in the schoolyard? Does burial Seamus need to be Dafka in a, base, in, a, in a Jewish cemetery? Before going into this, I'd just like to say that what exactly is categorized as Seamus could be actually much more narrow than what people tend to do. There are 
from now a lot of Hetarium people, many Sephardim talking about things like magazines which have Divrei Torah, as long as it doesn't have Hashem's name, so then you could wrap them up and put them next to the recycle and have the boy put them into recycle. So Seamus means where it has actually Hashem's name in it. But be that as it may, if it's, let's say it's real Seamus, so there's not enough space, does does burial of Seamus have to be in a, in a, a base aquarius? And so here we have a note of the Chassam Shoifrin, Simon Kufnun Dalet, and he says they're talking about printers with etc., with their all their, 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 their galley proofs, etc. And he says, It doesn't have to be necessarily in the cemetery, it can be buried elsewhere. And he quotes here the Sefer Knesset Yechezko. Now, the second question of this Shuliach is if he buries it in the, base, in, in the grounds of the Shul, what about, is that ground sacred? Are you allowed to tread on it? So at the time I had not uh, followed that up, but here you can see in the Knesset Yechezko where he addresses this. And he says, Oi bish arka karponui, asher ein shom oiver regel kol adam. It should be buried, can be buried elsewhere, but it should not be in a place where people walk around there. It could be perhaps under a flower bed, that could be, but not in, not where actually under a path where people would be going, because that would be disgraceful. Thinking whether it would be buried in, in a chest, perhaps it would be different, but. Where, meanwhile, that's what he says. Find a space which is not going to be walked over. Right. Now, here's a, another discussion which I find very interesting. And that is about putting up a mezuzah. We may have come up and come across this recently. And one, someone, uh, one of our listeners alerted me to, one of our listeners you know, for the recording, sent me this about putting up a mezuzah, we, I think we discussed about in a school and about in a, a shop and in a factory and in an office. And I think I mentioned that there are poskim who say that you would not put up a mezuzah there and therefore you put it up without a brocha. Pretty sure we had this discussion recently. And then he pointed out there's a couple of places where the Rebbe says about if the people, if people eat at that place, then you should put up a mezuzah. Although the Rebbe doesn't go into the detail of the brocha. So, so I was intrigued, where does the Rebbe get this thing of the eating making the difference? So let's first get the halacha, and then we'll go a little discussion. So here we have in Simeresh Pevov, in Hilchas Mezuzah, Sukkah Sachag Bechag, a dwelling which is only for Sukkahs, or a cabin in a ship, and the shops on the market, on the streets, Peturim, they are all exempt from having a mezuzah. So here we have on beneath this, we have the Taz who is saying that that is why, because the love dido is ninu, because this is not, they are not dwellings as such. Then he goes, the Rataz continues and he says, even if people are in the shops a whole day, since they're not there at night, Mikri Arai, that's called a temporary dwelling. And he refers to the dinim of Chazaka in 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 Mishpat. So here we are we are entering into an int very interesting debate. When the when the Shukhanoruch says Chanuyas Chabeshvokim, so some say this means Mamish like a market stall, 
which you're only there, you come there, you bring your stall, you're there during the day, and then the rest of the, the and then it's not used for the rest of the time. But the task seems to be saying that even shops are also not high of because you don't live in them by night as well as day. The kids of Shekhanaruch, he quotes the, uh, he paskins that a shop, it looks like it needs to have a mezuzah. But the Demisgeres HaShulchan draws from this Taz, and he says that you shouldn't make a bracha when you put up a mezuzah in a shop, because it could be that it, since it's not used at night, it's part of mezuzah. And here we have this letter of the Rebbe, which is one of a, a couple, perhaps more than two, where the Rebbe is writing, is about a building of a, a commercial building. He says, if you have a building which is a commercial building if some of those rooms people do eat there so then they should have kosher mezuzahs in those rooms then he talks about having mesforim and using this forum etc so as i say i was intrigued where does the rebbe base his his um, idea of having to have a mezuzah of, of, the, of the criterion being where people eat. And it, I had a hunch that, that I, would, I should find it in the Stei Chemed. And I'll explain you why I had that hunch, because the Stei Chemed is an encyclopedia of Halacha, which was published by Cheskyo uh, Medini in the times of the Rebbe Rashab. And in the early, well, in the late, later years of the Friedrich Rebbe, the last years, Mericus Kahos um, undertook to publish that series those ten, in 10 volumes, which was a monumental undertaking at the time. You're talking about very shortly after the war. And the Rebbe was the editor. And as the editor, he would have produced the entire, the entire set. And it's well known the story that when it came to the celebration of the of the printing of the Stehemet, the major journal was a Mr. Robinson, I believe from Chicago. But he was there and he asked about the Stehemet, you know, based upon the summing of the Stehemet. So the Rebbe says to Mr. Robinson, okay, you select a volume, you ask me what to speak about. So Mr. Robinson, I don't know if he could read the Rashi writing, but he, at random, he pulls out a volume off the shelf and he gives it to the Rebbe. The Rebbe's give me a couple of minutes. And then afterwards, the Rebbe gave a whole talk and was told it was about Arba Minim. So just coming back to the point that I was, I was I'm guessing that this source of eating out of space makes it into a dwelling to be obliged with the mezuzah, would, I would find it in the Stei So happens to be my hunch was correct. And in the Stei which you can see on the screen, we have here a quote from a sefer called Chem Das Shol. And he clearly disagrees with the Taz and his position. He says that Chazoka being night and day has got nothing to do with our topic. And he says, and he says like this. Therefore, he says, our shops, which are their permanent dwellings, permanent, sorry, permanent premises, 
they are like a house and like a storehouse and they are also designated for people to live there a whole, the whole day and and people eat there therefore for sure the so he disagrees with the Taos and therefore he disagrees with him and he says on a shop you could put up a mezuzah and without any doubt now actually we've gone through this not so long ago perhaps about the base the fact that he says it's a storehouse that's not such a strong proof because if i have a store let's say i've, I've got in safe storage i have stuff in long-term storage i don't put up a mezuzah if i have got a store of i've got a warehouse of paint pallets of paint i don't need to put up a mezuzah there when it says in the shuknaruch about a, a storage means i've got i have my house and then I've got a storage of an outside building for a pantry. I store their wine, I store their oil. And sometimes, whether during a meal or while preparing for a meal, we'll take food from that storehouse. But it's a storehouse which is an extension of the dwelling. But a storehouse which is purely a commercial storehouse does not need a mezuzah. So I don't think he's right about his basis about because the shop has got storage of wares. But people are this, the people are there a whole day. And then he adds the union of eating. So, all right, so now I know that he sees eating as being significant in making Chayvim Zuzah, but still, where does he get it from? So now, Ashgocha Protest, we're learning Gemara Psochim, and we came across the Rashi, and Rashi brings us to the talking about the idea of Biachilas Pras, and refers to the concept of a house which is affected with Tsaras. Which is in Halacha called a Bais Hamenuga, which is plagued with Tsaras. And there the Torah says two things. A person who enters that house becomes Tome, becomes impure. Then the Torah adds, that one who sleeps in that house or one who eats in that house will become Tome, not only for himself, but also his garments will have to be washed. So it's a greater degree of, a more um, severe level of tumor. And the, here you have on the screen, we have the Torah's Koyanim. And he says, it doesn't matter whether he eats in the house or not. The question is how much time, we say if he sleeps in the house, lies down, how long does he have to lie, lie down to incur the greater impurity that he has to go and wash his, take his clothes to mikveh basically. And he says, it's talking, the oichel is the, telling us the amount of time, the amount of time it takes to eat a half a loaf. And it's going, it's going to take so many minutes. If he spends the time eating or sleeping or lying or standing, it doesn't matter. If a person enters a house of Taraz for a moment, he becomes Tommy. If he stays there three, four, five minutes, whatever the number is, then not only is he Tommy, but also his clothing have become Tommy. So what we're seeing there is that eating in a premises makes you more settled in that premises. This, this idea that oichil babais makes you more settled is the basis of the concept of Eid of Tchumen. As we know, if one to one person wants to walk out the built up area, he has to, if he wants to walk more, more than 2000 armors, there's a way of, of, of extending his radius and that is by putting a, a measure of bread at, <clears throat> further out in the sticks. 
And then from there on, thereafter, he has another 2,000 amas. Where does this come from? And how much food has he put there? So Rashi over here connects it, that this has got to do with just like the pras, the food, the food becomes crucial to in the in the story of Tuma. So too the food is going to help. Instead of living here, he lives over there. And therefore he has another 2,000 arms. So what we're seeing here is very strong sources that where you have food that is, you're settled there and has its repercussions, whether it's to have got to do with Tuma, got to do with, um, got to do with Eru, it doesn't matter. But we're seeing a very strong basis that where you eat is going to be your dwelling. So coming back to mezuzah, therefore I have here a very strong basis. It's halochim in the halochim in kind of stuff. We talk about serious stuff that we have that a basis that eating in a place does generate, that that place becomes a dwelling. And in our context, therefore it's chai mezuzah. There's a separate discussion. Let's say if a person has got a, they eat in one premises and sleep in another premises, where do they like menorah? This is very relevant, let's say, in yeshivas. There's a dorm and there's a dining room. Where does, where does a, where such a person, where, where do they live? Where they eat, where they sleep? And the weight seems to be more, at least from what I've seen for a moment, that is more where they actually, where they eat rather than when they sleep. That's the impression from the Ramor in Toprish Einstein, Sif Aleph. Let's move on. So someone asked me a simple question. We've had this question before, but it came up again about a, a, a woman wants to, well, she's a, a Shabbos guest, lives somewhere in Northwest London, uses the Eruv, and she says, can I bring a gift to my Shabbos hostess, Shabbos host? Friday night, I want to come over and bring them a gift. I want to give them a, a book. So, so the, the rule over here is, is fairly straightforward, that you're not allowed to give gifts on Shabbos. It's a form of trade, or mecha chomemke. You can give food. That yes, I, I can't find it in my notes now from pretty recent shiurim, but I seem to remember we had a discussion about, let's say, by a children's rally to give them out toys. And then the children could take their toys home. But to make a raffle is not okay, or to give a child a, 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 a gift, a toy to take home, that would not be okay. What do you do for bar mitzvahs, etc.? if you want to do a presentation on Shabbos? So then the solution is that the rabbi or whoever gives the, gives the uh, becher before Shabbos or whatever, or whatever give it before Shabbos to the secretary to make a kinyan on behalf of the bar mitzvah boy, and then it becomes it belongs to the bar mitzvah boy from before Shabbos. And on Shabbos, they're just they're using it. They're, they're, they know they're, they're doing the publicity, they're giving it, but really the gift has been given before. So that's really the solution for this lady who kindly wishes to bring a gift to her hostess for Friday night. So then, okay, so should give it to someone else to be coiner. You know the year to be coiner, be to acquire on behalf of the hostess, and then she can bring it on Friday night um, because she's relying on the Aleph. Right, someone's pointing out in Bernoulli they would light in the bedroom, they would light in the bedroom, that's true. And you say there wasn't much to eat in the dining room. And um, since you're in England, the English boys used to have their stash of, of nash in their bedrooms. So therefore the bedrooms also became a mkoimachilo. But okay, that was a long time ago. Um, yeah, right. There's another issue there because of the fire hazard. If the bochum were light in the bedrooms and then they all run off to mifshoim, there have been 
uh, worries in the past. Let's move on to the next question. And that is about Kaddish at Mincha after Kriya Satoira. Now, this is a thing which has been through the ages of Chabad, has gone through a lot of interesting changes. And just going back 150 years ago or more, or more like 200 years ago, we see that there was a, in some places, they would actually, the Chazan would say Kaddish, then people would start Shwanesra. And meanwhile, whilst the people started Shwanesra, the Hagba fellow was, was taking the Sefatoira into the Aron Kaddish, which I find very, very strange, especially following on last week's discussion about walking in front of people down Shwanesra. It seems to be so. Um, so guilty Masuda. But at any rate, that's not on the, it's on the list. Okay. We, we, in, in the Siddha, which was published in Tofshin Lamed Ches, when it was an overhaul of the Hills Hashem Siddha, there's a footnote, which is a, a shortened from Sefer Hamin Hogim, that the Chazan starts Kaddish short, somewhere near the end of Galila, and he draws out the Kaddish in a way that he should finish the Kaddish when the Sefer Torah is already in the Oren Kaddish. To explain what's going on here. We have here normally on a weekday, Ashrei, Kaddish, Shemon Esra. Here we've got Kaddish, sorry, we've got Ashrei, Volzien, Kaddish. We've got Kriya Torah. Now Kriya Torah itself deserves a Kaddish afterwards. Shemon Esra deserves a Kaddish to launch just before Shemon Esra. So we've got two activities. Kriya Satoira needs a Kaddish afterwards. Shmanesra needs a Kaddish before. But you're not going to do Kaddish, two Kaddish one after the other. So here becomes a dilemma. How are you going to address this? Are you going to say the Kaddish right after Kriya Satoira and then do Mahagbe? And then Shmanesra will start without a Kaddish. So that's the problem there. You know, what we do in Rosh Chodesh, we, how, we, how we work it out, we do the Kaddish just before Shmanesra, before Musaf. So this is the dilemma. And this system of doing the Kaddish kind of during during the Galila is somehow to say that the Kaddish is also after Kriya Torah and also in launching Shemones. So it says doubling. Now, what happened in the last few years of the Rebbe's Chaim Chiyusebi Almodein, that the Rebbe was several times chazan because he had Yort Seitel Shabbos, whether it was Chof Ov or whether it was Vov Tishrei or Yudshvat, those are the times that the Rebbe observed Yardside. And there, unlike what had been a custom until then, the Rebbe actually waited until the Sefetaria was put back in the Oran Kaddish, and only then said Kaddish. So that, that was departure from what had been customary until then. So some, some uh, fine chsidim are under the impression that the Rebbe changed the rules here. Yours truly has reservations about that. And my, my understanding is the following. Those of us who remember, the Rebbe would sit at the Fabrengen on a raised platform, like towards the back of the show or halfway. And his place for davening was at the front of the show or upstairs in the small zone. In those last years, instead of the Rebbe having to go down from the, his place from, from uh, the Fabrengen to go upstairs or to go to the front, 
they would bring the bimmer and a stender on the platform where the Rebbe was by, by the Faberengen. They would bring there, and so the Rebbe would not go to the front of the show for being the chazan. He was chazan right near his space by the Faberengen. And Kriya Satoya was also held there, as I just said. And then by Hagber, it meant taking the Sefatoya from the Rebbe's platform for, for the Faberengen to take it all the way to the front of the shul where there was the Oran Kodesh. Now, for the Rebbe to say Kaddish during Galila, and it would it would take a long time for the Sefatoya to be brought from where from the bima all the way to the to the, the Oran Kodesh. And that would cause an, 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 an unnecessary an undue delay. And so because of those circumstances, so that's my understanding that the Rebbe chose not to say Kaddish during Hagber as or during Galila as was done hitherto, but instead to wait till the Sevatoria is back in the Oran Kaddish and commotion kind of has settled and everyone's in their place. And then he said Kaddish, so to speak. That's my understanding of what was going on there. And therefore, I would like to suggest that there wasn't a departure of Minhig. It was the circumstances were different, but where the circumstances are, that is a more reasonable sized um, shul. And you could, under the circumstances, you can take the Sefer during Kaddish till the Yarn Kaddish, and it's not going to be an undue de um, delay. So to continue the minute as it was hitherto. So that's my uh, understanding of the, the that that development. Let's just take a look. Someone's putting uh, here a question. The Rebbe writes that giving food on Shabbos is a form of tzedakah, which is allowed on Shabbos. Yes, definitely. To give food on Shabbos is permitted, and you can, you can bring food around. If you have an Arab, you can bring food around to a neighbor. That would be okay. Just interesting moment, um, a minute. Last night, someone knocked on our door. And as often, ha often happens here on a Friday night, and they had a question that they had. No, they noticed that the blech was not switched on. So the food was, some food was hot, some food wasn't hot. Is Can they ask a goy to switch it on? And he says, I'm Sfardi. And so we're quite strict about asking goyim to do malachas for us. So, he's, so I says to him, do you, um, do you have an Arab with a neighbor? If you have an Arab with a neighbor, you could take the, the food, which is hot, and put it on the neighbor's, on the neighbor's black. So he says, well, I'm sorry, I don't rely on the, on the Arab. Okay, we, well, I, mean, I think we managed to, he, uh, with that, that he would get a neighbor who does rely on the Arab to take it round. Oh, well, we didn't discuss that too carefully. I think the Arab, um, actually, why I mentioned this is, if someone out there knows why the Sephardim are more machmir on Arab, I, I don't know why, because um, we've discussed this, the Arab in the N15 in the past, so I don't know why Sephardim are uh, not relying on that Arab, but fine, let's move on to our next question, and that is, last week, I believe, we had the discussion about walking in front of people who are davening Shimon Esra, and I was saying that people who, in a shul where this is a problem, where it's a long, it's a wider, very wide and short shul, from front to back, it's wide, it's short. So to make, try to daven towards the front of the shul, not to cause people to walk in front of you whilst you're davening in So someone mentioned last week about 
walking in front of someone who says Kaddish. And I was possibly a little bit dismissive. I said that I once asked Rabbi Ginsburg about this. Now, here's the source of where there is this Chumrah. This is the Shara Shur, I think it's Simon Nunhei. He quotes the Birka Yosef in the name of Marie Molcho in his manuscript that just like one shouldn't walk in front of a person davening Shimon Esra, one shouldn't walk in front of a person who's saying Kaddish. So the person this week sent me that also Reb Chaim Noah quotes this in Ksos HaShulchan, that you should also, that you shouldn't walk in front of someone who's saying Kaddish. And this, his source is the Shari Tshuva, Bika Yosef, etc. Which, that's wonderful. And I mean, as I say, Halavai would see an improvement in people being conscientious not to walk in front of people um, then, then we can go to the next step about Kaddish or perhaps one will impact on the other just today I was seeing someone happens to be that in our shul downstairs there happens to be a, a, a sforim case bookshelves in front right near the uh, where the chazan davens and people sometimes go and put a safer there or take a safer there and uh, you know just using this this forum again to say you shouldn't be walking in front of them for taking or removing for him. Right, let's move on. Okay, we had this discussion some several weeks ago, where in although we have 18 minutes given for for uh, before sunset, and the Rebbe is quoted as saying 23 minutes, 25 minute margin. So two things. Number one, I had made a comment about in London, they have the basic time is 14 minutes. Someone is not muted. Yeah. Okay, I think that's solved the problem. So someone from one of our listeners in New York sent me uh, comment that actually in America, 18 minutes is the standard time. So, all right, I stand corrected on that. What you have in front of you is a copy from the book called Jewish Chronomy. That was its original name, reprinted. It's by Leo Levy, who I believe he lived in London, and later reprinted as Jewish a lot of times or something like that. So he, he, he tabulates. Had Lockers near as 18 minutes So then, just to refresh your memories, I've given two sources. One is in this booklet of Lockers published by Rabbi Inglas. And he says, has a note there that Medaktikim are lighting candles 23 minutes before Shkia before sunset, and then there's a, the diaries of Rabbi Grona saying that the Rebbe made a comment that in Rebbe, it was 25 minutes before the sunset. And so it's struggling to understand where does this of 23 minutes, 25 minutes come from. And again, to refresh, so Rabbi Khan of, of Paris has suggested to me that his idea of Toys with Shabbos, so then in addition to the 18 minutes, add another four minutes for Toys with Shabbos, and that's where he got the cheshbon of 22, 23 minutes. Someone else, I was in America, someone 
gets to listen to the Shia, and he gave, comes up with a very interesting explanation. Rebelezer Mehmet says 18 minutes, yeah? Now, as we know, we've got what we call halacha hours or proportional hours, and in summer they are longer, and in winter they are shorter. So now, I'm, here I've got a, from the same safer from, from Dr. Leo Levy for Moscow, and here in July, which are the longest days of the year, and see so here he has what's a shor's manis. What's what's going to be the proportional hour? So you can see here it can be almost well the longest is one twenty seven, an hour twenty seven. So it's like it becomes a a fifty percent increase. If that's the case, it's in summer the eighteen minutes can grow to become twenty seven minutes. Yeah, another nine minutes. So possibly that would be the explanation why there would be a minute to have not just 18 minutes, because in, in the summer's days, it would be longer. And the Rebbe's explanation, the ex expression was at least 25 minutes. So it could be in Russia, then they saw the need to expand the 18 minutes to more than that, to more than 18 minutes, to be Yotza, that uh, for sure as many as according to Rebbe Lazar Metz. So why 25 minutes and why is it in winter? Possibly to kind of standardize. If you're adding time in summer, so you can, should add the same amount in winter, but that's another explanation which I found interesting. I wanted to share with you, and just to finish off today's uh, shear, I'd suggested uh, that I'm going to discuss about the haftarah. So here we've got <clears throat> a very confusing situation where we've got between the Ashkenaz haftarah and the Sfarad haftarah and Vayishlach and 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 Vayetze, how it switches around. And it's based in the, the Haftar is from Hoshea. And the Minuk Chabad is to start from Vayami Sluim Limashuvasi. And then, whereas the Minuk Ashkenaz in Parshas Vayishlach goes to Al Talme Sodoi, that same Haftar is said by Chabad, I believe Sfarad on Parshas Vayetze, but adds another two psukim of Ayivrach. Minig Ashkenaz in Parshas Vayishlach, sorry, Minig Ashkenaz Parshas, in Parshas Vayishlach, we'll go to Talmi Sodoi, and in Parshas Vayetze, they start from Vayivrach Yaakov, and they continue till Boishim Yukoshlovo. So just to explain what I see here, what's going on here. The Haftorah has to reflect the content of the parasha. And in this passage in Hoshea, we've got two passages which are re relating to the parashas Vayetze and Vayishlach. Vayivrach Yaakov Arom, Yaakov flees from Etestral to Aram, and he marries, he works and gets married. That's obviously relating to parashas Vayetze. Then we have this passage earlier on in Hoshea, Vayosar el Maloch, Vayuchal, he prevailed over the angel, and, and uh, the angel pleads with Yaakov, and he, uh, etc. That is the event where Yaakov, that's going to be in Parshas Vayishlach. That explains to you why the Nusach Minag Ashkenaz takes Vayivrach Yaakov's day Arom for Parshas Vayetze, and Vyami Sluim with Vayosar el Maloch for Parshas. Again, they would take Vayivrach 
Yes, they take Vayivrach for Parshas Vayetze, and Vayoser Mavamis Luim Vayoser El Maloch, they do that for Parshas Vayishlach. Whereas Minichabad is to say Vayamis Luim and Vayoser Maloch, but then we also say those two Psukim, Vayivrach Yaakov and Vanovi Helo, we add those two Psukim. In that way, the, the crucial Psukim, the crucial Posuk, which is relating to Parshas Vayetze is included, albeit at the almost the end of the Haftarah. So that's that's that I understand is the reason why we dafke if we're saying Vamisluim, we dafke add those two psukim so that we have Vayivrach included in Parshas Vayetze. If for Parshas Vayishlach Bichlar, we read from Evadio. Just as I was looking at this, why does it why does it go till Ovenovi Nishmor? Why not any further? Why? So there, the next one is actually the next postuk is a ne- on a negative note, and I think then and then that's the end of the passage. And generally, we don't like to end off in a negative note, and so therefore it stops before. I'm still not totally clear why the postuk v'nevi helo as Hashem Hashem is strong and mitzrayim v'nevi nishmor. Why did that have to be included in the parish in the I don't have a problem with it, but I'm just. And in any case, I counted, there aren't 21, there, normally there's a minimum of 21 psukim in a haftorah, unless the concept, the, the, uh, the topic has kind of been uh, adequately covered. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly why that posseg of Anobi is included, but that is, at least I think, it's a little bit clearer than what I was uh, aware of on Friday. So I hope it's a bit clearer for you and wish you all now a... Uh, I just see that someone left a, a note here. I'd like to answer the notes. Chat. What does it say here? Okay. So, gesund, a guter Woche, and we should meet in good health. And, Shiatat Keno, Simchas Eulam, Adresha, a guter Woche.